This morning, we'll be jumping back into our summer orientation series to further consider the passions, priorities, and particulars that give shape to Oaks Church. So far in this series, we have considered scripture, uh, the foundation of all that we believe and practice. We have considered Jesus, the central figure of scripture in whom our greatest need is met and our greatest hope is secure. We have considered community, that is this local body of believers to which we have been called. We've considered mission, that is our responsibility, our privilege of carrying the gospel message out of this gathering and into our workplaces and neighborhoods and social circles. And three Sundays ago, before I took a couple weekends away, we considered simplicity at Oaks. Maybe you've already observed this. We've made a biblically informed decision to be lean, to be plain, and to be relentlessly uncomplicated in what we do and how we do it. Throughout the New Testament, especially the Apostle Paul's letters, Paul, when he describes the form and function of the many churches he planted, he never uses the word simplicity explicitly. But the churches that he planted, the way they functioned, what they were and how they, how they did it, they were in fact profoundly and powerfully simple. And so that's what we want to embody here at Oaks. And so today, as we further consider the passions, priorities, and particulars that give shape to Oaks Church, we will consider authenticity. We prioritize authenticity. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. When you get there, if you're you know, one who likes to read ahead, and you're probably even familiar with this passage. You might again notice, though, that as Paul describes the way he and Silas and Timothy conducted themselves among the Thessalonian Christians, as Paul describes his content, he never explicitly uses the word, well, we were authentic. Our, our conduct was one of authenticity. But as we'll soon see, and if you're reading ahead right now, you already are seeing their conduct, Paul and Silas and Timothy dripped with authenticity as they planted the church in Thessalonica. Before I read, here's just a bit of context to help us frame what we're about to read. The book of 1 Thessalonians was originally a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the brand new Christians who were living in the Greek city of Thessalonica, where he, Silas, and Timothy had recently planted a church. It was because of persecution that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had to leave Thessalonica sooner than they had hoped. So Paul, having gone to the city of Corinth, he wrote this letter to teach the new Christians in Thessalonica more about how to live the Christian life. In chapter 1, 
Specifically, I'm looking at verse 4 here. Paul rejoices. Here's a word for you that we'll talk more about in the future. Paul rejoices over the election of the Thessalonian Christians. I hope to talk more about this in a few weeks. But suffice it to say, Paul right here rejoices that God has chosen these Thessalonians unto salvation in Christ. And Paul is confident that God has chosen them because the gospel message he had preached didn't just grace their ears. It opened their hearts with full conviction and in the Holy Spirit. That is this, through the simple proclamation of the good news that Christ was crucified and resurrected to save sinners, God caused these Thessalonians to be born again. And Paul rejoices. And he rejoices that his coming to them was not in vain. And it's actually kind of on that thought that will continue in, in Paul's thinking. Let's start reading at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostle of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's say a word of prayer together. Father, in your affectionate desire of us by sending Christ, let we who are known by you through Christ, let we who belong to you in Christ, let us so be affectionately desirous of one another in the fellowship of saints that we might live real, genuine, and authentically to and with before one another for your glory, for our edification and joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are numerous ways we might break down this passage because there are numerous lessons and applications and themes that we might draw from it. But as I stated earlier, the theme I hope to dial into for the remainder of our time is, is, is a theme that, that quietly 
it quietly courses through this passage. The theme of authenticity. In these verses, as Paul recollects how he, Silas, and Timothy conducted themselves among the Thessalonians, we see time and time again in his recounting of it, we see that they did so with a remarkable amount of realness, genuineness, authenticity. In verse 8, the very end of our passage this morning, as you know, he, Paul recounts how in addition to sharing the gospel message with the Thessalonians, he, Silas, and Timothy also shared their very selves. <laughs> I am. Here I am. Not only were they present with the Thessalonians, while they spoke God's truth to them, they were decidedly transparent. They were affectionately desirous and gentle, verse 7. They didn't speak with manipulative flattery, verse 5, because they didn't have any motive for greed or, or recognition or human glory. Paul and his missionary partners were real and honest and authentic. And I... This text to say... Uh, authenticity is not uncharacteristic of Paul, right? Uh, to the Roman Christians, in Romans chapter 7, 19, Paul confesses that even he, an apostle of God, even he doesn't always act as a follower of Christ ought to act. There are times when he fails to act as he should, he says. There are times when he acts in ways he shouldn't. And he kind of closes out that section by saying, oh, wretched man that I am. Understand really quickly that Paul's authenticity is not rooted in self-deprecation. When people self-deprecate, they draw attention to their weaknesses, but for a purpose. Because they want others to give sympathy and affection, and allegiance, and sometimes even applause. Self-deprecation might look humble, but in reality, self-deprecation is prideful. Paul is not given to self-deprecation. He's a sinner. But here, and in Romans 7, and 2 Corinthians 12, which we'll look at in a moment, he's not given to self-deprecation. He and Silas and Timothy weren't seeking affection or allegiance or glory from the Thessalonians or anyone else, as he reiterates right here in verse 6. They were simply just being real and honest and authentic. And their authenticity, gosh, we got to see this, their authenticity went a long way. A long way. So, before we jump into our outline, a, a brief two-point outline for the remainder of our time. Before we jump in there, let me present to you really quickly, just as a way of illustrating how far authenticity goes, let me present to you two hypothetical people, okay? Which of these two people, person one or person two, would you rather worship next to and pray with? and fellowship with which of these two people would you want to hold you accountable 
of these two people would you rather follow? Person one is the kind of person who always seems put together, never weak, never needy, never downtrodden. Person one is the kind of person who always has something to say and rarely listens. Person one always has an answer to every question and a quick, swift rebuttal to any hint of disagreement. Person one is the kind of person whose boldness toward others is scarcely seasoned with gentleness because in their own eyes, they are rarely, if ever, wrong or mistaken. Person two, on the other hand, is the kind of person who is faithfully present at gatherings of saints, but they're not, they're not always doing great. In fact, they're pretty open about their needs and doubts and shortcomings. Pretty open, like, I, I mean, I'm doing okay on this Sunday morning. I don't really want to be here. I'm kind of just tired and ashamed of things in my life. Person two is the kind of person who always listens and sometimes has some things to say. Yeah. Person two is the kind of person who doesn't always have an answer to everything, but they're diligent to do research, to think and pray on things. They're bold when they have to be, but their boldness is seasoned with gentleness because they know that they don't have their own act altogether. Who would you rather worship next to and pray with and be held accountable by? Who would you rather follow and be like? For me, person two, every day to Sunday. Authenticity goes a long way. And it really got me thinking prayerfully this week. What if, by God's grace, the Oaks Church family was entirely comprised of person number twos? Wouldn't that be just a joy? And by God's grace, it can be. And by God's grace, it will be. We will be a church of person number twos for the remainder of our time. With our eyes on 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 8, let's consider two things here. Number one, why authenticity is possible for us. And number two, what authenticity might look like in us. Why it's possible and what it might look like. Now, I get really quickly, I, I, I'm... I'm not starting into these points just yet. I get the primary purpose, the primary focus of this passage is not authenticity. I get that. We're looking at the way Paul shares. We're looking at the way that he, Silas, and Timothy conducted themselves among the Thessalonians. There is a huge lesson of goodness in it for us. That's what we're looking at. Look with me at verse 4. 
basis of what Paul is saying about himself and Silas and Timothy right here in verse 4, the basis of it is true of every follower of Christ. None of us are apostles. We're not, we're not talking apostolic authority or anything like that. But the basis of what Paul is saying here is true for every believer in this room. We who have received the gospel have been entrusted with the gospel, not as apostles, as believers, and as being those who have received and been entrusted with the good news of Jesus, we have been approved by God. We are, we are approved by God, not as apostles. Don't read too much into what I'm saying. Followers of Christ here this morning, who are here this morning, if you are a follower of Christ, you need to hear this with absolute clarity. We, as followers of Jesus, right where we are, although we limp with imperfections and immaturities, we have been and are right now approved in full by the God of the universe. Bind, sealed, and delivered by the death and resurrection of Christ, we have received the unmerited and unshakable favor of the God of the universe. And because of this, listen to this, because the God of the universe no longer condemns us, there is no need to camouflage our weaknesses or hide from one another. There is no need to put on Sunday costumes and fake our way through fellowship because we, like Paul, Silas, and Timothy, have been approved by God. And this means, like Paul, Silas, and Timothy here in this passage, we have no reason not to be real and genuine. Forthright, raw, transparent, whatever word you want to use, we have no reason not to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you have struggles and doubts and fears and disappointments and immaturities? So do I. But because God, in his approval of me, because God is also steadily refining and sanctifying me, I have no reason not to bring all of myself into this room with you, with all my flaws intact, as embarrassing as some of them are. I have no reason to flatter you, as Paul reflects on not doing with the Thessalonians. I have no reason to deceive you into thinking I'm better than I am, verses 3 and 5. I mean, if anything, I can, and so can you, authentically echo Paul's words, not only here, but to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, when he says, look, church in Corinth, I don't have it all together. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to boast in my weaknesses. Because when I boast in my weaknesses, mysteriously and mercifully, the power of the resurrected Christ rests upon me and strengthens me when I lead with what I'm weak in. Don't we see? Man, if I could get you to just, hear, these are my words, but I do think that there is the hosts of scripture behind this. Please, believer, hear this. 
It's okay that you and I don't have everything together. It's okay that you and I have many areas for needed growth. It's okay that you and I don't always have the answers to everything. It's okay that you and I sometimes wonder, am I saved? Man, one of my favorite passages in scripture comes out of Jesus' mouth, Matthew 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know they're unqualified. Blessed are those who know they're unworthy, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Hallelujah. Now, it's not okay for us to be completely comatose in our faith. <laughs> it's not okay for us to just shrug off the pursuit of growth in understanding and obedience to God's word. It's not okay to completely shrug all of these things off. But I think maybe it would do me maybe you some good if right now, saints in Christ, if we took a huge, big, deep breath for a second. If you and I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, crucified and resurrected to usher us into an everlasting kingdom of righteousness, then right where we sit and stand irreducibly and irrevocably, we are approved by God forever. May his kindness lead us to repentance. May he restore to us today the joy of our salvation by grace through faith. And may he help us to understand that authenticity among us is made possible because he already approves of us. What have we to hide? What have I to hide? If we're not condemned by him, what have I to lose? What have you to lose? Number two, what authenticity might look like in us? Look again with me at verse eight. Being affectionately desirous of you, Paul writes to the Thessalonians. At the very end, he says, because you had become very dear to us. So the you know, kind of book ended in verse eight is, wow, okay, we love you guys. And because of that, we were ready to share not only the gospel with you, we were ready to share ourselves with you. Paul's and Silas's and Timothy's love for the Thessalonians is what blossomed their authenticity among them. It's a really mysterious thing, but I cannot help but feel loved and trusted and honored when a brother in Christ lets down his guard a little bit and shows me his cards. Chris, man, the dragon of lust is rearing its ugly head in my life. I need you to know it. I need you to pray for me. I need you to walk with me. Chris, man, I'm struggling with workaholism and finding my identity in my job. 
struggling to want to be in fellowship with believers. I'm struggling to want to read the word. I'm struggling to lead as a husband, as a dad. Maybe you've been in, in a situation where someone has opened up and, and shown you that their hand of cards like that. I can't help but feel loved and trusted and honored when I'm the person someone's willing to be real with. No doubt the Thessalonians felt God, uh, Paul's love for them as he shared Jesus with them. He also showed himself to them. Now hear this quickly for for a point of prudence and wisdom here, it is entirely unwise to have this level of authenticity with every person we meet. Not good. The world we live in, last I checked, is chock full of crooked people and we are not to cast our pearls before pigs. That might sound harsh, Jesus' words. It's unwise for us to full-blown, transparent authenticity before everyone that we meet. However, sweet mercy, if God has brought you to Oaks Church, if he has placed you within a community group, if he has seated shoulder to shoulder with fellow believers who are showing themselves to be trustworthy, well, First, pray that God would give you toward that brother, sister, the kind of love Paul had for the Thessalonians, and then authenticity will blossom. Not only will you steadily grow in your desire to be real with trusted brothers and sisters about the things your flesh wants to keep hidden, you will steadily grow in your desire to boldly and gently address those brothers and sisters the things their flesh wants to keep hidden. And all of a sudden, the church starts to do exactly what God designed it to do, to refine one another, to help one another, to stir one another up, to love and good works, to be refined into, sanctified into the righteousness that already clothes us in Jesus. It's a joy. It's a joy. Verse 3. Because you have been approved by God and have trust, entrusted with his gospel, you can, brother or sister, authentically speak the truth in love so as to please God who tests your heart. And we can and should and, and will do this by God's grace in gentleness and in understanding. Verses, verse 7. Right? We, we, like Paul and Silas and Timothy, have no reason not to be understanding and gentle while we speak the truth in love to one another because the last time I checked, not one of us is here who has our act completely together. <laughs> I mean, we are all beggars who have been given the bread of life. We are all paupers who have been robed in a righteousness that is not our own. We are all vagrants who have been brought into the eternal palace of the king. We are all criminals who have been given the keys to Christ's treasury. We are all patients being treated in the hospital of God's mercy. And I'll put myself at the front of that line. 
I'm in triage for crying out loud. At the end of the day, isn't authenticity such as this a gospel issue? I mean, follow me on this for a second. If I have somehow deceived you into thinking that I personally don't struggle with arrogance and apathy and materialism and anger and lust and harshness toward my wife and impatience toward my kids and worldly want to be celebrated and self-righteousness on my worst days, I kind of think I've arrived and I'm doing pretty good. If I have somehow deceived you into thinking that I am not a sinner struggling with sin, firstly, whoa, back the truck up, total sinner in triage in the hospital of God's mercy right here speaking to you. But follow me on this for a second. If I've deceived you into thinking I don't struggle with any of those things, could it be that, that I haven't actually acknowledged those things before God myself and received his forgiveness and his marvelous assurance that his son took those sins from me and died on my behalf so that I would grow up into the righteousness of God, into eternal life. Isn't authenticity to a degree a gospel issue? If I have pulled the wool over everyone else's eyes, maybe I'm not even being authentic and forthright before the Lord that I'm a sinner in desperate need of a savior. among trusted brothers and sisters in Christ. How can you and I not boast in the fact that we are weak and unworthy because only weak and unworthy people will enter the kingdom of heaven? I mean, woe is the person when face to face with Jesus on the last day, the question is asked, for what reason should you be allowed to enter this perfect kingdom? Things together, Jesus, and you helped me. No. Dressed in his righteousness alone, that's when we'll stand faultless before the throne. We don't bring anything to the table. So just as we have been approved by God, by being entrusted with his gospel, so we can speak, church, and posture ourselves toward one another, not to impress each other, not to deceive each other, but to please God who tests our hearts because we have been approved of by him in Christ. Can we not be boldly gentle and loving toward each other? sharing the gospel with each other and sharing our own selves with each other as the family of God. Maybe some of us this morning need to confess that, and this is me most days, oh Lord, I want to look, I want to appear a lot more put together than I know that I am to be. Forgive me. And empower me by your spirit to, yes, 
be zealous in my pursuit of deeper understanding and greater obedience to our perfect God, but to also be just real with you all. When I come in here, when I stand right here behind the pulpit, Lord, help me just to bring all of me up here. What about to hide? What about to be afraid of? You know, there are people who have said in the past, not to me directly, but to other pastors, oh, oh, oh you, you should not, you should, <laughs> you should not be that authentic before you're... Well, I, I really resonate with the, a quote that I'm going to just paraphrase from Charles Haddon Spurgeon when he said, you know what? I'm, I, I'm not worried about if people will think of me as a, as a horrible sinner because, you know what? It's not even scratching the surface of actually how horrible and sinful I am. I'm a lot worse than they think me to be. I am a great sinner in need of a great Savior. And it just so happens to be that Jesus is that great Savior who came for me. He came for you. And by his blood, he pleads righteous over us. So we prioritize authenticity. And that's why. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm often struck with King David's words. The psalm is, is uh, falling from my mind right now, either 51 or 139. Be Behold, O Lord, before a word is on my mouth, you know it altogether. Man, I have nothing to hide from you because words I'll even speak in the future, you already know altogether. So Lord, all of me coming before you, and all of my brothers and sisters coming before you right now. We just thank you. We thank you that even though we are far worse sinners than we ever dared think, we are far more loved and approved of in Christ than we ever dared hope. That's good news. And pray, Lord, that you within this family of saints, that you would begin to foster relationships among us between brothers, between sisters. Lord, well, we can be real. And in so doing, we can, by your Holy Spirit, be refined with one another, speaking the truth in love. We want to look like you, like your son, Jesus, and being dishonest with ourselves where we're at and putting up a false front, that's not going to get us anywhere. So, Lord, I pray for an authenticity that is of you to be given to us at the right time and the right place for your glory, for our joy, our upbuilding. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.